Welcome to the Boone's Creek Baptist Church podcast. We are a church that exists to spread God's glory from our neighbors to the nations. This is Pastor Tim Wade, and we pray that you will be blessed as we consider God's living, active, and all-sufficient Word together. Amen. Well, if you would, turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, I'll confess to you that uh, this particular Sunday, Fallback Sunday, is one of my least favorite Sundays to preach in the entire year uh, because your phone is telling you it's 1142, your watch is telling you it's 1142, but your belly's telling you it's lunchtime. It's past lunchtime, and he's just now getting up to preach, and that's bad news for our bellies. So, it's the reality. Uh, we'll, we'll endure it and, and prayerfully our bellies will, over the course of the next week, fall back like everything else. But um, we're going to talk this morning about truth-telling. Now, when I was in the fourth grade, I told a lie. This is probably the only one I ever told, I'm sure. But um, I, I remember telling this one vividly. Uh, There was a day that we were running late for school. Now, really that was about every day, but but on this particular day, we were running late for school, we were scrambling, I hurried to get in the car, and and as we pulled up to the school parking lot, I was hurrying to get out and get to class, and uh, I I forgot to have my mother sign the reading log. I'd, I'd done the reading the night before, and she was supposed to sign, verifying, yes, I'd read the pages in this book I was supposed to read, and... We ran out of time, and I didn't have her sign that. And so when I got into class, I realized that she hadn't signed it. So I pulled the paper out, and I made a decision in that moment. I would sign it. I'd done the reading. It seemed only fair that I'd get credit for it, so I was going to sign my mother's name. And, and I did, and uh, you know, I did the best I could in my fourth grade cursive capabilities. Uh, The problem was that that there's one particular letter that I really had trouble with as a fourth grader writing cursive, and that was the letter D. Now, that would be okay except for the fact that my mother's name is Deborah. Uh, So, you know, I remember erasing that D and trying to write it several times, and and it never really got any better. And by that time, the paper was almost torn through with the eraser, and and so I just said it's going to have to do. And so I, I laid the paper out on my desk. Miss Popplewell, my fourth grade teacher, started walking by to check the papers off, and she came to my desk, and she looked down, and she said, Tim, did your mother sign this paper? Now, I was caught, dead to rights, right? I knew it, she knew it, my mother had not signed that paper. But I decided in that moment to make a decision. I was going to double down, and I said, yes, she signed it. She kind of looked at me and I realized there's a problem with that D. So I said, you know, the, the rest of it was pretty good. I thought I could get away with it. So I said, well, she was in a hurry this morning, so she signed her name, but she asked me to write the D because she didn't have time for that. <laughs> now, in my fourth grade mind, this made sense, right? So Ms. Popwell invited me to go out into the hall so we could have a discussion a little bit later about my mother signing this this paper, and I'd like to admit that at that point I just admitted the truth, but no, in the hallway I doubled down and promised that my mother had signed the paper. Now, 
I learned a valuable lesson about lying that day. I didn't get away with it. it is, I mean, I, I can't imagine how I didn't. Uh, my, my plan was so foolproof. But I realized that it's always easier if you just tell the truth. Amen. It's always easier if just right from the beginning you tell the truth. And you stick to the truth. Whenever you try to concoct an elaborate scheme to get a Round the truth, you only end up digging yourself into a hole that much deeper. That's what Jesus is concerned with today in this particular section of the Sermon on the Mount, truth-telling. Therefore, if you are able, I would invite you to stand together with me this morning as we read the Word of God, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 33. There Jesus told the crowds in the Sermon on the Mount, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's once more turn to the Lord in prayer. Oh God, we are thankful for your word today. And we just ask as humbly as possible that you would help us to be truth tellers. That we would be people whose yes means yes and our no means no. And that we would not seek to manipulate or deceive or tell white lies or fudge the numbers on our tax returns or whatever else it may be. Whether it's signing reading logs for our parents. Or being honest with our spouse about where we went after work. I pray, Lord, that we would be faithful in every instance. To act with integrity and then to proclaim truth. Lord, ultimately realizing that you are truth. And that apart from you, we cannot be transformed, we cannot be changed, we cannot hope to attain the level of being a truth teller until we submit our lives to the one who is ultimate and absolute truth, Jesus Christ our Lord. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. In order to provide you with just a little bit of context, if if you've been here with us or if you've missed a couple of weeks as we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, we are right now in the middle of the most famous sermon ever preached. This is a sermon preached by Jesus to crowds that were following him, seeking to learn from him. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And in this sermon, Jesus is trying to teach his followers what it looks like to follow him. And what we've seen time and time again throughout this sermon is that ultimately following Jesus is a matter of our heart's disposition. It's not necessarily a matter of of our outward action so much as it is our inward disposition toward him and toward other people. And if we get that right, as Jesus has taught in this sermon, then our outward actions will follow. So this sermon focuses on the heart transformation that comes when you decide to trust in him. The Sermon on the Mount is found here in the Gospel of Matthew, which is one of the four books that's dedicated to telling the story of Jesus' earthly ministry. 
And today we're focused on the part of this sermon in which Jesus addresses truth-telling and making oaths. Like other topics that we've already covered, including murder, lust, and divorce, Jesus is showing the people that when it comes to truth-telling, it really is a matter of the heart. And like these other topics, what we're going to see is that the religious leaders of Jesus' day had taken this very simple idea, right? This one shouldn't be complicated. Just tell the truth, right? Let your yes be yes, your no be no. Simple enough. But the religious leaders of Jesus' day had taken this simple idea and had twisted it and perverted God's original laws regarding the taking of oaths so that Jesus had to come along and then correct their teaching. So we begin with the perversion. How had God's word been perverted and twisted? When we look back at the Old Testament, we find that God actually has a lot to say about swearing oaths. There's a number of scriptures, and these are just a few of them. What Jesus quotes here comes from kind of pulling and combining some of these different texts together. These scriptures include Leviticus chapter 19, verse 12, that says, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. Numbers 30, verse 2, if a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Deuteronomy 6, 13 says, it is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve and by his name you shall swear. Now this one is is interesting because here in Deuteronomy 6, 13, God actually commands his people to swear by his name. As a matter of fact, he says, you shall not swear by anything else. When you make an oath, you shall connect my name to it. So there isn't a problem. The the problem that Jesus is addressing here in the Sermon on the Mount isn't necessarily swearing by God's name. That that wasn't something that, that the people were forbidden from doing. In fact, quite the opposite. God says, when you make an oath... You need to make an oath. You need to invoke my name. In Deuteronomy 23, verses 21 through 23, it says, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay in fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what is past your lips. For you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. So here in the Old Testament, God isn't telling His people that they should never swear or take an oath. He isn't telling His people that they shouldn't swear by His name. As a matter of fact, He says this is the only thing that you should swear by. What He's telling them is that when you make an oath, you are to keep that oath. And you're not to swear by anything other than the name of God. You see, God intended that His people be truth-tellers in their heart, that they be people of integrity, people who intended to keep their word. This is where the heart issue comes in. Are you someone that intends to keep your word? Are you someone that's looking to get out of the promises you make? When you say something, are you already thinking of a way that you can get out of that commitment before the words ever leave your mouth? That's the problem that Jesus is addressing. 
Jesus mentions several things here in these verses that the people should not swear on, including heaven. He says, don't swear by heaven. Don't swear by earth or Jerusalem. Or even, he says, your own heads. You can't dis- determine whether one hair on your head is going to be white or black. Don't we know it? right? Or whether those hairs are going to fall out, as mine seem to like to do. I can't stop it. I wish that I could. But Jesus says, why would you swear on your own head when you can't control your own hairs? It's silly. In Matthew 23, verses 16 through 22, Jesus comes back to this issue. And listen to the strong language that he uses. This is an important thing that these people are neglecting. And often we we don't think very much about this. We don't think very much about taking oaths or swearing. But Jesus addresses this multiple times during his ministry. He says, Woe to you, blind gods! who say if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold in the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools! For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men! For which is greater, the gift of the altar that makes the gift sacred? Uh, For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred. So whoever swears by the altar, swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple, swears by it and him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven, swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. So when we take these passages together, this here in Matthew 23, along with what Jesus says in Matthew 5, It seems like the Pharisees were teaching the people that there were differing degrees of oaths that you could take. There were oaths you could take that were binding. If you swore by God, that was binding. But if you swore by something else, that was not binding. And you could break that oath. You could get out from under that promise. And you weren't morally culpable for breaking a promise in that way. So they had twisted God's original law where he had told them to only swear by his name and then to keep that oath, to instead say that as long as you swore by something besides God's name, that oath was not binding. So they had created basically an elaborate system of deception where where you would try to create this fancy-sounding promise that at the end of the day didn't mean anything. That you were allowed to say anything you wanted. Make your promise Swear your oath so long as you swore by something less binding than God Himself. They even taught you could make an oath by the temple so long as you didn't make an oath by the gold of the temple. Which is very revealing of the Pharisees' priorities. Right? Right? The, the gold in the temple in their minds is more important than the temple itself. That gives us an important clue about where their hearts were. About what they cared about. They taught, by, they taught the people here, it seems, to swear by heaven or by earth or by Jerusalem and even their own heads. If you broke those oaths, there's no problem with that. We have a fancy term for this. It's called a loophole. right? We, we all know about loopholes, hear about loopholes. It's, it's a way to get around the intention of the law with a technicality while knowingly breaking the law. Now these kinds of loopholes... 
or why you can make really good money as a tax lawyer, right? Helping your wealthy clients find the loopholes to exploit the tax law to get out of paying taxes. Right? I was reading about one particular loophole that if you uh, you, you could deduct uh, an art donation to a museum, right? So so it would be in your best interest if you had a piece of art and you'd made a lot of money this year to get some appraiser to come in and value this piece of art at some exorbitant cost and then donate it to a museum and there you get to write off a large part of your income. Or if you, you bought an expensive piece of art but you hung it in your home office then it could count as a business expense. Right? These are loopholes and we chuckle because we probably tried to figure out some of them ourselves to get out of paying as many taxes as possible. Sometimes these things are fairly mundane, like trying to decide whether or not you can write off your new cell phone as a business expense. But there are some more extreme examples of people taking advantage of loopholes. In Colorado, there's a prisoner who actually was able to get away with murder. He, he killed uh, uh, another inmate there in the jail, but he claimed that according to Colorado law, you was able to defend yourself in your dwelling and his cell, he said, was his dwelling, so he was allowed to kill this man who was in his cell. Now, I don't think that's what the lawmakers in Colorado necessarily had in mind when they were writing that law. In the same way, Jesus is telling the people here that God never intended them to twist his law to be able to deceive other people. God's intent was that his people would be people of integrity. And when they swore an oath by his name, they better keep it. But now they're figuring out, they're trying to figure out ways, how can we get around this? How can we exploit the system to get what we want that advantages us, but doesn't cause us to sin? And so we'll swear by the temple. That sounds good, that sounds fancy. But that's not necessarily as binding as swearing by God Himself. So what are we supposed to do? How can we be truth-tellers? How should the Jews have been truth-tellers? Our second point, how, how, do we, how do we be people of integrity? How to tell the truth? Well, Jesus says, this is simple. Don't take an oath at all. Simply say yes or no and let that be the end of the matter. Do what you say whether that is yes or no, and be done with it. We should not have to try to concoct some elaborate and grandiose statement in order to convince people to do what we want by masking our true intentions. Be a person of integrity. Tell the truth and then keep your word. Now some have asked if this means that Jesus forbids taking any oath at all, period. Now, I don't think Jesus is forbidding all oaths. Remember, he said at the beginning of this section that we looked at several weeks ago that he wasn't coming to abolish the law. He was coming to fulfill it. And in the Old Testament, what we just read is God allowed his people to take oaths and gave them very specific instructions to do that. So Jesus isn't erasing those things. He's trying to correct the perversion that the Pharisees had worked in. Remember, the only valid oath is one taken in God's name. Jesus isn't erasing that. What he is concerned with here is frivolous oaths or rash oaths, oaths meant to deceive. 
The oaths that might be made in the marketplace where someone would say, I swear by the great temple in Jerusalem, this, this wheat is fresh. It was just picked last week. Right? And that may sound like a good sales pitch. Or I swear to you by the hair on my head that, that I will come by and I will plow your field tomorrow if you let me borrow your plow today. Right? Those are the types of things that Jesus is saying, listen, just, just stop. Just stop making these oaths. They're silly. Just say yes or no and be done with it. Amen. People would take oaths as a way of manipulating and working things to their advantage when a simple yes or no would do. The problem then wasn't taking an oath. The problem was taking an oath that you never intended to keep. In fact, we see that God Himself actually swears oaths in Scripture. In Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 20, it says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves. And in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convictingly or convincingly to the Heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. A hope that enters into the place, inner place behind the curtain. Where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So notice here, the hope that we have, the sure and steadfast anchor of our soul, is the fact that God has sworn an oath. And God will not break His word. And that oath is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who Himself has gone into the inner place of the temple and become our great high priest. So even though it is impossible for God to lie, the author of Hebrews says he made an oath so we can have confidence, absolute confidence that what God has said will come to pass. So Jesus isn't forbidding every oath here. Otherwise, God himself would be a lawbreaker. And we know that cannot be. He's merely forbidding manipulative and frivolous oaths in which we just simply need to tell the truth. Oaths should be reserved for important occasions when we must swear before God. One such occasion that we practice regularly is when we take our wedding vows. Right? When you take vows, what are those? Vows. Right? That's an oath. That's a commitment that you're making before God and the witnesses gathered that you will love and cherish and protect. That's a vow. We should treat them as such. We should be so loath to break them that the thought doesn't even enter into our minds. Another example is when you testify in a courtroom, come before a court of law. Jesus isn't telling us that we should never solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. He's saying that when we do that, we better tell the truth. Right? We, we better be people of integrity. That on that stand, if you're ever called to be in that position and you make that oath, you tell the truth, regardless of what it costs. We need to be radical truth tellers. 
You see, that's difficult in our age because so often truth-telling comes at a cost to us. The world doesn't like truth-tellers. Just look at the political ads on TV. And see how words are twisted, manipulated, changed, taken out of their context to mean something that they ought not mean. The world finds ways to tell lies and to, to gain advantage by telling lies. As Christians, we need to have none of it. We need to be truth tellers. But what about when people make vows that they shouldn't have made in the first place? Rash vows. What about rash oaths? Well, Scripture has some heartbreaking examples of this kind of thing. In Judges, we read about Jephthah, who made this vow. It says, And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. Now Jephthah never needed to make this vow. God had already promised him that he would give him victory over the Ammonites. And when Jephthah returned home, it was his daughter that ran out the door to meet her father. And sadly, he followed through with his vow. Similarly, Saul made a rash vow to the Lord in 1 Samuel 14, verse 24. It says, And when the men of Israel had been hard-pressed that day, so Saul laid an oath on the people, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food until it is evening, and I am avenged on my enemies. So none of the people had tasted food. Now later as we read, we find out that it was actually Saul's own son, Jonathan, being unaware of the oath that his father had swore, ended up eating food. And because of that, Saul was ready to kill his own son in keeping this vow. And fortunately, in this instance, the people of Israel prevented their king from exercising his authority and carrying out this vow. They saved Jonathan's life because they realized that Saul had made a rash and foolish vow. Listen, in both of these cases... Jephthah and Saul should not have made such vows. But their attempt to actually carry them out was doubly wicked. They would have been better off in these cases breaking their vow than committing murder and accepting whatever consequences came with breaking a vow to the Lord. Surely there would have been consequences. But again, we must remember the spirit behind the law. God intended His laws to be good for his people he intended them to help his people flourish and thrive and be people of integrity at the heart of the law the law is a matter of the heart and so we need to be people who at our hearts desire to be truth tellers for the good of ourselves and other people do we desire then to tell the truth or to deceive when we make a vow, when we make a promise, when we sign a contract? Do we desire to honor the Lord or to twist the terms of that agreement to our own benefit? That's what's really going on here. Where is your heart? What do you desire? Do you want to be a truth teller or do you want to be a deceiver? Do you want to be somebody that honors the Lord or do you want to be someone that is always seeking their own benefit regardless of who else it may hurt? If we're honest... This is difficult. We need help doing this. I need help being a truth teller as a fourth grader. right? How much more do I need help now as a grown man who's engaged in 
all sorts of different contracts or, or agreements or promises, responsibilities, whatever it may be. We need help doing this because we can naturally slip into telling little white lies, exaggerating numbers to our benefit. The devil is a deceiver himself. And while we remain alive in this world that is corrupted by sin, we will be tempted to follow his deceitful ways. Which is why Jesus gives us a better permanent solution than just trying really, really hard. Brings us to our last point. Jesus' solution for us. In John 8.32, Jesus tells his followers, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You see, there is freedom in truth. There is freedom in truth-telling. Lies will only enslave. And what you all know to be true, because like me, I enslaved myself in that lie in fourth grade. And once I was caught, I didn't want to back out. I was enslaved. I'd already gone down that road. And to admit so would be defeat, would, to own up to the, would be to own up to the consequences. So I kept digging the hole deeper. I kept building those chains stronger. Even in that moment. Truth though, truth will set you free. In the very same chapter, Jesus goes on to tell His followers about Satan. He contrasts Himself with the devil. He says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But later... In John 8.44, Jesus says of Satan, He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So there are two paths. You can, all, you, you can either follow Christ into truth and the freedom that that provides or you can follow Satan into lies and deception and enslavement. There is no middle ground. So that when you decide to fudge your numbers on your income tax return, when you decide to deceive your spouse and not be completely honest about where you were and who you were with, when you decide to tell little white lies, when you try to manipulate your siblings into giving you something that you want. You're choosing to follow Satan. You're choosing to follow the father of lies, who is a liar from the beginning. And look at the costs, look at the the tragedies that unfolded because of his lies. Because he challenged the truth of the Word of God. God told Adam and Eve truth. And Satan comes along and he says, Did God really say? And what ends up happening? Adam and Eve end up kicked out of the garden. Banished from the presence of God. One of their sons kills the other. Heartbreak upon heartbreak upon heartbreak because of a lie. We need to reject the path of Satan. We need to follow the course of truth. And how do we do that? How are we freed from the father of lies? Well, Jesus tells us in John fourteen six, I am the way. Amen. I am the truth. And I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The ultimate path of truth and righteousness is only through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
If we want to get to the Father, we have to be freed from Satan's laws. We have to become truth-tellers, oath-keepers. And that only happens through Jesus Christ. It's by His power alone that we are enabled to be transformed in a way that we can be the kind of person who lives in the truth. He is the way. He is the life. He is the truth. The Bible tells us no deceit was found in His mouth. Jesus never told a lie. He is the ultimate fulfillment of all oaths. Everything that the Father had promised from the beginning of time was kept true in Jesus. God made an oath to Adam and Eve that one day after their fall, after they believed the lie, after they listened to Satan, what did God say? He says, I make a promise to you right now that one day a seed of the woman will come and crush the serpent's head. He made an oath to Abraham, which is what the the author of Hebrews was referencing to say that Abraham one day, through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. He made an oath to David that David's dynasty would rule forever, that he would have a king set on a throne for all time, for all people. Jesus is that truth. God kept His oaths, every single one of them, through Jesus Christ. So when Jesus says, I am the truth, He's telling us that everything that was promised, going all the way back to the garden, it's all come true in Him. And when we put our hope, when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, what we are doing is we are saying, God, I agree with you that you have kept your word. God, I believe what you say to be true, and it's true in Jesus Christ. It's to find freedom from sins. Freedom to live in the truth. To acknowledge that Jesus Christ, because of our lies, because of Satan's lies, had to go to the cross. He had to be pierced for our transgressions, for our lies. He had to carry the burden of our sins on His shoulders and endure the wrath of God. And He did that because the truth will set you free. My friends, I want you to be free. I want you to be free of the world's lies. I want you to be free of Satan's lies. I want you to be free of your own lies. But that freedom only comes through Jesus Christ. And so if you would like to experience that freedom today, I would invite you to come in just a moment and let me know that you want to be free. And I'll sit down with you. We'll go through God's Word until the chains fall off and you know what that freedom is. Let's pray. God, we thank You today for Your Word. We thank You today for the truth that is Jesus Christ. For His keeping of the law. For His fulfilling of the law. For His keeping of Your Word. In Him, all the promises of God are yes and amen. And so, Lord, we rejoice today as people who have been freed by the truth. I pray now that we would be sanctified by it. For indeed, your word is truth. God, as we continue today to pray throughout the day for our brothers and sisters persecuted, I pray that you would remind them of this. That there is freedom in Christ. And that though the father of lies comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Lord, there is an unchanging, unending hope that we have through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let us rejoice in that hope together. 
even with our brothers and sisters facing dire persecution today. Lord, if there's someone here who does not yet know that freedom, I pray that today is the day that you would shine a light into their imprisoned heart. That you would show them that the chains can come off. There is freedom to be found in Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about today's sermon or would like more information about Boone's Creek Baptist Church, you can send us an email at boonscreekchurch at gmail.com or you can give us a call at 859-263-5466. You can also find us online at www.boonscreekchurch.com. Thank you and have a blessed day.